Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Knowledge Exchange podcast. I'm your host, Daniel, lead mentor at the Knowledge Exchange. We are running in-person courses finally this year, so check them out at tkx.org. And we're also currently getting some interest to host one in Sydney. So if you are keen, wherever you are in Australia, please let us know and we can make that happen. Uh, and another disclaimer is excuse my voice. I have just been... I just found out I have COVID, so hopefully you will uh, not hear my croaky voice as much as Johnny Chung's amazing sultry voice instead. So I'm joined today by the one and only strength coach, physio, the our very own mentor and physiotherapist at the Biomechanics and the Knowledge Exchange, Johnny Chung. Thank you for joining us, mate. Absolute pleasure being here, Dan. Thanks Mate, for having me. You are uh, an enigma, as I am, apparently. So we'd love to hear your experiences and your opinions when it comes to misinformation. Um, and we'll, we'll start with a quick intro for the listeners out there who don't know you. What's your story? What do you do? So uh, my story, I guess I would start off by saying, as you mentioned, I'm qualified as a physio and a strength and conditioning coach. Um, I think like the majority of physios as a, as a student, I wanted to get into the industry because I played various sports growing up and I wanted to work with the most elite, at, elite athletes and uh, having gone through various sporting injuries myself, I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Um, maybe, there's, maybe there's something here that I'd enjoy doing as an actual profession. So I went through the whole uni uh, phase of, of doing a, a degree of, of um, science and then getting into a physiotherapy degree after that and then realised there's more to it than just sport. And uh, it was coming into it after doing a degree, I was kind of a bit sceptical of various things as the old mature age student of the, of the course. Um, like uh, I remember sort of, you know, going through tutes and being told how to accurately palpate different spinous processes and various people and going through all those things. And I was always not so sure about it. And I remember coming out of the end of that degree and thinking I probably didn't have the, the godlike hands I'd, I'd want to obtain from, from doing so. So I then went down the avenue of upskilling through different PD avenues and trying all different techniques and approaches and, Ended up, I was working at a private clinic at the time and I ended up finding out that sort of regardless of what I did, I'd get sort of similar results or different results doing the same thing. So I probably thought maybe there's more to it than just these special fancy techniques. Then I went down the whole upskilling and exercise and fancy exercise routes and, uh, you know, needing specific programming. And I probably found that same sort of thing that really wasn't that much of a need for that either. So um, still work in private clinic, but I guess I uh, now find myself working with just more yeah, gen pop person. Um, lots of people with chronic and complex pain come and see uh, me where I am. Um, I still see a lot of people with sporting injuries. So uh, applying the person-centered approach to them instead of treating everyone like, a, like an injured or, or torn ACL or you know, injured body part uh, is, is sort of how I operate now. Um, without the fancy skill technique prescription behind it. Um, and sort of the enjoyment of athletes still happens, but I just uh, probably enjoy is 
working with the, the the person who wants to play with their kids and get control of their body as as much as I do, if not more so than helping someone jump two centimeters taller. Yeah, awesome. That's um, applying the same kind of person-centered approaches, regardless of if they're an elite athlete or they're an everyday athlete that just wants to go up and down the stairs with preferably less knee pain. So, and you mentioned that you had a few kind of um, changes in your journey, as I can recall with my experience and the very typical existential crisis that a lot of us experience and when we find out about uh, what the evidence actually maybe shows that it's maybe less of our specific interventions that we're tied to and more of our general uh, approaches and communication skills and care that we show and and maybe some other principles of pain science rather than specific techniques. So what were some of the ones in, in your journey reflecting back and um, or uh, some of the updates that you had or how did you replace those kind of beliefs? Yeah, totally. So like that, I mean, just it straight off sort of suited my bias first off because I, I remember going through those um, those tutes of about, you know, palpating your, your, your transverse spinal process and being able to mobilise to a certain degree and then uh, another grade more and all that sort of stuff. And I, like I just I felt like I didn't get it and I just felt like I had this incapability to have the, the, the ability to do such a specific thing to know I'm doing it to a certain degree. And when I sort of started looking into more of the, the, the evidence that sort of displayed, well, you can't really know exactly how much you're doing anyway. I was like, perfect. This, this, this fits my, my bias really well. Um, so I think one of the uh, most, I guess, most manual routes potentially I went down was I sort of started in all the, the McKenzie courses um, and nothing against the, the, the McKinsey method. I, I still think there's a really good uh, things to take away from, from doing those courses and I definitely recommend them. Um, and I did remember sort of, you know, reading the, the treat your own back and neck books and all that sort of stuff. And um, even going through the course, the, the people who were taking it, uh, who, who were actually like the, the heads of the McKinsey Institute in Australia, they, they said, yeah, like how, how we know these things work is very different to how the original model of, of the McKinsey method worked. It's not so much about pushing the disc back into place with extension, um, but it's more about you know, movement. And perhaps we don't actually know a lot of the, the specific reasons why it works. So once again, that sort of ambiguity uh, was like, it sort of suited me a bit, but once again, I was like, oh, it'd be really kind of interesting to know why then this sort of stuff works. And I guess my kind of journey away from going down the real specific diploma route with that sort of thing was that I found that, you know, doing certain movements to, to centralize symptoms, it would happen with other movements and just general movement and, and, and anything really. So once again, there was less specificity involved and required um, with, different people so I, I sort of thought well if it doesn't really matter and we don't have to be fearful of going into flexion and let's let's just get people moving in any way and it's more the 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 narrative around why we do it than anything else yeah it's uh interesting how someone's directional preference can change even sometimes within the same session even like so you had that understanding and oh that curiosity rather to explore why it works and so it was easy for you to um expand from that rather than stay stuck in that particular 
mindset or narrative. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. I'm diving into misinformation. So if we were to, so another thing that I, I, people might know you for is the strength coach physio on Instagram. Um, and yes, your shit posting, but yes, also your great posting out there. Um, and some pretty high quality memes. Um, what's as a, first of all, what's some of the misinformation that, that you come across? And I know I, I come across, uh, the typical kind of technique is important for injuries and, um, maybe there's more emphasis on specific, uh, cues or specific techniques maybe than is perhaps needed when it comes to pain. Um, and that can be quite frustrating to see because I get a lot of clients that come in fresh from following squat university and they create more problems than they had, or like the, the post, the misinformation can uh, heighten their awareness to certain movements where they were perfectly fine beforehand. So that's kind of what I've experienced. What, what's been your experience so far with misinformation in general online? Yeah. yeah um, I, I'm not sure all, all the three people that you mentioned that know me uh, on, on Instagram would be yeah, following me too, too closely, but I think, yeah, the, it really depends on what sort of what spheres you're, you're in and what, what things you're following, right? Like, I mean, if you're down this rabbit hole of, of, of following um, the, the Fitzbo influences, you're going to get a lot of these, you know, don't do this exercise with the big red X and the green tick saying do this instead. And you're probably going to say, oh, so that's, that's bad. I, should, I shouldn't do a, a, a curtsy lunge or I shouldn't do a, um, a, a, this, this type of variation. I, I should do this one only. So, I mean, there's, there's those sort of things that are, that are just blanket statement, bad, good. Um, there's misinformation if you're sort of following the whole, I mean, I can't really speak about it because I haven't got the credentials to, to talk about it, but there's the, the diet side of things. Um, and there's lots of, of information around that. I remember when the, the Game Changers uh, movie came out, the docu, docu-series, there was a lot of things that were, you know, claimed in that and then there was a lot of also people that came out and produced their own content around here's why that's that's sort of wrong so i think in my uh my followings i see a lot of these um you know i, I created this this instagram page that i've got purely from educational point of view just to, to it was originally like looking at people to get fancy exercises so i could try them with, with other people so i started following a whole bunch of pilates uh, things because that was sort of like my main exercise um, prescription way of doing things previously, uh, and I was you know getting all these different Pilates exercises. Then I started following all these different uh, barbell type exercises, and you know seeing all these different ways of doing things through there. So I think the more I started following things, the more I started following people creating these these shit posts about them as well, which opened up this avenue of oh okay, so there's other ways to do things, which I found really interesting. So the kind of memes or the counter posts got you thinking and got you a bit more curious to find out a little bit more in that, in those initial stages. And I think you, we need to highlight that there's uh, definitely helpful parts of following some accounts for creative exercise ideas. It's not all kind of doom and gloom. We're not just, you know, calling specific accounts out. It's more overall misinformation. So, so would you say that that kind of the memes or the kind of, I guess, counterpoints spark some curiosity? You, you weren't so tied to certain exercise variations at that time? 
Yeah, I think the I think the memes are helpful in a way because uh, just as as misinformation is so easily spread by just saying don't do this, do this, like having a simplistic way of countering them, um, it could be the most effective. I mean, I know from a time point of view, for me, if I had to to watch someone saying, "Oh, you shouldn't." do this movement and then I was like okay let me let's go through these articles that I know about this and what's the evidence say and and okay this is a bit wishy-washy in that area and that area and there's some evidence for it and there's mostly evidence against it and, and the amount of time spent into doing that and then putting that into some sort of context and uh, visually appealing post around that is quite draining and taxing so if I was to just have some crappy shitty but funny meme template <laughs> saying the opposite it's so much easier <laughs> um and i think uh, there's some people that it's it's easier to digest than all this information dumping and and citation dumping and um just heavy based content so it's it's sort of the uh yeah like I, the, the easier we can respond i, I find the, the better for everyone yeah, absolutely. We can spend a lot of time and effort. Ellen Masson in our podcast with Tate Brown also mentioned that, that, you know, she spent ages and ages trying to find all the resources and citations and a well thought out post. But if she just posts an exercise, exercising, like doing a random Pilates fancy looking exercise, it gets a lot more engagement. So I think that's, that's important when we're looking at social media is how can we get that engagement and maybe acknowledging that Instagram isn't where people want to, you know, dive into citations in the first place. Yeah, totally. Um, it's, it's, it's funny. Cause like when you look at the majority of people who are these influencer types on social media, you know, the one major theme, whether it's good information or misinformation or, or, or bad information, like these people with these mass followings is that they're just, they, their content is, it could it could be overly reductionist and, and simple, but the layperson's going to just digest that so much easier than so much more information to sort of make sense of. So if it's if it's simple, suits everyone. And for talking about the layperson and, and maybe clients that you see when it comes to these kinds of misinformation, how can we respond to that maybe in person? say if they were a potential client or a friend asking us a question um, or if we saw them in a consultation, how do we respond? And then maybe also how do we respond online if we come across misinformation? I think things are a lot easier to obviously do in person because there's more, uh, there's, there's an easier way to gauge how a conversation's going when it's flowing, it's back and forth, it's in real time. You can, get body language and emotion from someone even over zoom as opposed to like i know a lot of comments i might receive or someone else might receive on, on one of their posts i'm looking at it going is there sarcasm in there are they are they joking are they being serious like what's the punctuation is really missing as well I'm, I'm not quite getting it so i think responding in person's super easy because you can just have a discussion and i mean my way of approaching it is okay that's that's interesting that you say that like what do you think about it do you want to do you want to know what i think about it so sort of getting permission from them if they want me to tell them what i think um like i've had people 
whether it's, it could be in a consult and they've come out and just straight up said, oh, I think this, uh, what do you think? I'm like, oh, it sounds like you're open to hearing my opinion. Like, would you want me to give you it? And they're like, yeah, but you're, I'm here because I, I want you to tell me what you think. And this is what I'm, this is what I've come to see you for. And there's other people that I've seen in a same clinical context and they go, oh, it's, this is the case. Um, and I've gone, oh, well, do you like, what do you know about it? Do you, do you think that do you want to know something else? And they're like, nah, no, nah, I'm pretty sure that's, that's what it is. So I, I don't think I need any more information on it. So it's obviously going to be a different approach to the, to the different readiness to accept new information, I think. Um, and I know a lot of the other people that you've had on the misinformation series so far have also, and I think you even said it too, Dan, is um, you know, giving people the benefit of the doubt uh, is probably a better way to do it online and, and through comments. And you go, oh, yeah, that's like, you're right. And oh, yeah, you're, that's, that's definitely true in these circumstances. But what do you think about in another circumstance or in, where, in what way would that apply? Just questioning further to, to get the nuance of the conversation going a bit more. What do you think? Yeah, I can definitely see the value in an in-person consult where we see their live responses, like their body language, their tone of voice and um, how engaged they are. We don't know how engaged people are online. So we know that there's thousands of people like watching along, perhaps scrolling by, but we don't know. We don't have like stats on who is actually keen on learning, who is actually watching along. Um and who actually doesn't really care. They just liked the post and kept scrolling by. So I think that's huge when it comes to the differences and we can yeah, explore a lot more in that context, that clinical context, if they're willing to learn something different or try a different approach. Um, but yeah, social media is difficult and it gets more and more challenging. I, I feel with the algorithms nowadays where we, like I mentioned, we can spend a lot of time to try and, have that same kind of curiosity and that reflective listening that you would with a, if they were in person, but then they don't reply. So you just like, you know, uh, made space for your emotional response as you're looking at a screen and sitting down trying to do other things in life. And um, you've spent a lot of time to uh, hear what they're saying, trying to understand what they're saying, but it's not the right context for like a real honest, vulnerable back and forth. Um, and mindful that there's an audience watching. It's kind of like um, if you're at a social event with a group of people and you like call someone out who's across the room and everyone else can hear and they're like, you, you get some people that don't really care, right? They're, they're just, you know, followers. They're just scrolling by. But then you get other people that are listening on and they've got their popcorn out. So you're, you're mindful that you're almost on a bit of a stage uh, and sometimes it's not so much you're talking to them directly, you're talking to the audience, like indirectly. It's a, it's a fascinating like social context that uh, like a, an Instagram comment. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I never really thought about it that way, but it's it's like you've, uh, you know, you, you've gone up on a stage and you're having a talk with someone, but there's so many other people listening and there's going to be people on one side and people on another side and people just there for the entertainment and the yeah, the, the absolute debauchery and shit person that's going <laughs> to result from it. Um, so yeah, it's a very different, uh, very different way to, to deal with an, an intimate conversation for sure. It's yeah, so much easier in person, hundred um, percent. And then 
if I had to answer like, what can we do to respond when it comes to online stuff? I think um, if we're looking at the overall picture, I, I side with maybe unfollowing the unhelpful outdated pages so they don't get as much reach in the first place. Um, I know that I used to follow a lot of pages just to stay with the algorithms and stay up to date with what's out there and like um, stay on trend. But in the long term, it just made me feel a bit disappointed in the industry and didn't really like help. So I think that's that's how I respond in general online. And I'm open to other suggestions. Like there's a lot of people doing some good work. Alexis, who we've had recently in our podcast, who actually kind of you know works to debunk some of these posts. So I think there's value in both of these approaches, more than like countering it and also eh, creating our own content maybe instead. Yeah, I think um, there's there's equal points for and against for that. Like I, I know there's, there's there's probably a lot of pages that I uh, follow not for the, not for the sense that it's it's I'm enjoying their content as much as I sort of it it went like. Like Alexis, it helps me think of something to sort of put out then in maybe in counteracting a, a point that I might not sort of agree with or that might not be helpful to so many people. Are we helping the people putting out the information by having that following though? Are we, um, you know, are, are we benefiting them from the algorithm? I, I remember when I was like a kid and I used to watch TV and, um, the Simpsons came on at uh, you know, six six PM every night, and then straight after that, it was like it was like Neighbours or something. I was like, oh, I, don't, I don't want this show to get traction, so I, I turned the TV off, thinking that would uh, that would that would do something. And I mean, the TV show is still going to be there, and it's still like people are still going to watch it. I'm just shutting off my um, my my uh, opening to it. So I think if it comes to benefits for your own sanity and mental health, unfollowing is probably a good thing to do. Um, but if you've got the ability to sort of sift through and not get too emotionally attached to things, I think there's benefits to kind of keep an eye on and follow some helpful things in certain circumstances. Yeah, so maybe combining both ideas and um, sharing, liking and commenting on the counter posts, like on the accounts that spend that time and effort and energy to refute and debunk um, whilst also maybe unfollowing <laughs> and um, not allowing their kind of pages to grow and grow. And even sometimes comments are comments and negative comments also gain traction. So if you were to kind of spend that time and energy, you've spent that time and energy on their platform, on their group or on their page, their channel and more people are going to see it. Like all your friends and followers are going to see that um, and they're going to be interacting and then they might be commenting and all, all in all, you've, you've really gave them an extra thousands of, of views or um, more engagement in the, in the long run. So yeah, I guess timing it and also being aware of the implications or the consequences, both pros and cons of spending that time to unpack and yeah, maybe just creating your own memes and stealing ideas to create your own memes. I think that's <laughs> seems to be the way forward in this era. Yeah, uh, totally, totally agree with you. Like, I, I, I think that there's benefits to counteracting these points. It's, it's important 
so that we do learn from certain things and, and someone who might be sitting on the fence looking at these certain arguments for and then seeing someone provide an argument against, it might help them make sense of what they're trying to, trying to work out. Um, but at the same time, you know, if all we're doing is uh, putting out misinformation fires, you know, just as soon as they arise, um, it's going to sp- we're going to be spending so much energy. There's always going to be misinformation coming out. And it's so easy to come out as we can see, you know, whether it's pandemic related, fitness related, diet related, there's, there's going to be misinformation on any topic because it appeals to someone's bias. It's simplistic. It's easy to, to understand. So we can spend so much time running around with a fire extinguisher, trying to, trying to put out these little spot fires here and there. But I mean, we're just, we're going to run out of foam and energy and resources at some stage and it's going to take a toll and could we be better off uh you know like you said building our own uh department and uh, avenue to to kind of counteract things before they they sort of spread as misinformation um i, I don't think ignoring misinformation is going to be helpful either because if I'm going to keep using this fire analogy, you know, someone sets a fire and you just look at it and you go, oh yeah, let it, let it be. That might grow with the wrong following and, and more people coming and adding fuel to that fire. Um, and in which case, then it's going to be a, a, a bigger fire that you have to try and put out. So I think there's benefits to, to hitting it on the ground level. But I think if all we're doing is, is doing that, we're not really providing the alternative. We're not providing the information that we really want to be out there. We're just fighting these uphill battles constantly and we're not giving anyone who's sitting on this fence uh, or trying to make sense of it the other side of the argument. We're just saying, no, no, whatever coming out is, no, that's wrong, but we're not providing them with any educational benefit. Yeah, especially if we haven't had like the opportunity to have our own content out there in the first place. If we're just starting out doing that, that's not really helpful for anyone. Um, so yeah, I think when it comes to debunking or clarifying misconceptions for, for the lay person, what can we do? And I think that's like, so like you mentioned, maybe not ignoring the misinformation um, and maybe putting out some helpful content or directing people towards that helpful content in the first place. Um, and one thing that I've found useful is trying to inoculate people. And I stole that term from Jordan Feigenbaum in a recent podcast um, where he talked about if we can build people's scientific or health literacy and help give them the skills and tools to figure it out for themselves. um, Especially if they're, if we're seeing them in person or or online as our own clients, if we can build that kind of community so that the everyone within that community can see what it's like to unpack certain claims and then they can maybe spread that information to their friends and family and, and yeah, kind of from the ground up, um, spread more helpful information whilst also arming themselves with filters to filter out the BS. What, what are your thoughts when, when it comes to like debunking info for the layperson? Yeah, I, I totally agree with you there as well. I think um, maybe providing people with their own resources and ability so that they can sift through information when it comes up so they can, they can make those judgments for themselves. So whether that's providing counterpoints or just 
once again, not, not just completely bashing the misinformation, but providing your own information that has evidence backing it to support what you're claiming um, so that people, if enough people see that and they take that, they're, they're, they're armed with those, those filters so that they can go, oh, well, you know, I saw that. But also there's a lot more information that seems to be more grounded in actual scientific evidence that suggests otherwise. So I can apply that to myself and you're, um, yeah, you're, you're giving people those tools so that you're not having to just constantly put out those, uh, I'm really digging my heels here, but using that fire analogy, putting out those fires for them and that, you know, they're running around with their own fire extinguisher, um, keep putting out their own misinformation sparks as soon as they arise. And it like, not all misinformation. I think we're assuming sometimes that it's done on purpose. Like there are these people running around and for the, you know, chaotic nature of, whatever they're trying to do is that they're trying to just start these, these issues here and there. I think a lot of people put out information that they believe is true and they, they believe is good um, without knowing that it could be misinformed. So once again, providing people some sort of resource or providing enough information on the other side of the fence that they can go, well, maybe I won't spread that as much as look at what both sides saying uh and then maybe I'll, I'll think twice about the the information i'm spreading in in a in an attempt to be benefiting friends and family and clients and colleagues but it could actually be be harmful yeah i think um there's a kind of scale of how harmful certain information might be so we're not saying that all kind of misinformation is intentionally there to harm others it's uh it's more we're providing some more up-to-date and science-based information, I think. And the other thing that we can leverage is for our followers and those who maybe we see as clients, they already trust us. And so we're a trusted source and authority source, and we have a lot more influence over them than the random person scrolling by. And probably on that, I, I wonder if we would be seen as an authority figure if we were to comment in one of these kind of posts because obviously all their followers are looking along and they might like come up with counteract like well, like backfire effect and i don't know if that's the best kind of context uh if we just come as an outsider and try and you know create our it, in their mind another fire within that fire if we'd like to really milk this analogy yeah um i think there's you know if you've got authority within a group you're already going to be having some sort of benefit of the doubt whenever you put out something. But if you're, if you're walking into, you know, a, a room full of people that you don't know, and this person is, is telling them all these things that they've been following and, and listening to for ages. And, you know, they've, they've, it's helped them in all these different ways. And you come in and you go, nah, you're wrong. <laughs> They're going to look at you going, who, who are you? First of all, like who invited you here? Um, what, like, why should we believe you? We don't know you. So yeah, having some sort of presence in whatever community is definitely going to help already can change people's minds to whatever you're saying. Awesome. So, um, and when it comes to uh, when, so if we're, we're always talking about when we are questioning other people's content, when it comes to, from your own experience, having your content maybe questioned or, um, maybe if you've had some uh, messages where people don't agree with what you're putting out, uh, how can 
how can we respond and, and also for the maybe people who are looking to start their own social media page what kind of advice would you give because I, I know that that can be it can be quite scary when we have people that are questioning our content especially when we put in so much effort and time and energy and really uh attach ourselves to our page and our content what, what would you say um how can we respond to having our own content question i actually find it really helpful when someone comments and something i've posted or something that I've agreed with and they provide another side to the argument. Cause I, I think at times that we can get caught up in our own biases, although, you know, as, as well-intentioned as we, we try not to be, we try to uh, be critical of ourselves. Um, but you know, that's, that's not always going to be the case. There's always going to be some sort of uh, reasoning why we may feel personally attacked or, or personally uh, identified by something that's against what we're saying. So I, I've, I definitely felt that way initially, but I think I've come to realize that if I have people coming and commenting on something I've said or something I've put out, it makes me just sort of recheck that what I said was, uh, first of all, truthful, whether it's got enough backing to it and enough clout, um, but also it's helped me go, okay, well, that's an interesting thing maybe I hadn't even thought of. Uh, and it's being viewed in, in such a way and I've been able to then, look into that side of their argument and be able to either update my views and beliefs based on finding credible information, or I've been able to further reinforce my own beliefs by finding information that isn't maybe so correct as to what they're saying. So I think using someone coming against your opinion as an opportunity to either reinforce or, or upskill um, your, your own sayings and your your own beliefs it's it's very helpful um so i welcome it i'm very happy when people say things against what i'm saying um I, it can be scary first off like i know when i was putting out my first post i was i think i mentioned to you before it's it's like i, I remember the first few things i did I, I put out very detailed information that was very based upon you know this this evidence and that evidence and it just didn't have any traction due to whatever algorithm was going on. And I think the first time I actually started getting some sort of uh, following and, and people reacting to the stuff I was saying is when I did something slightly controversial or I called something out um, based on the, the content that was uh, being mentioned. Uh, and I was so hesitant to do that because of the, the, the potential effect of, of, oh no, this is going to lead to, you know, trouble and I'm going to be seen as a bit of a dick doing all this sort of stuff. But um, it's it's what gained some sort of influence and, and helped me gain traction in so that I could put out more educational resources and more information. I think the problem with that though is at times we can, uh, we, we're just putting out information to the, to, to people within our own sphere. Like, it's, it seems like there's a bit of, um, you know, someone puts out a bit of content and we tag all our, uh, our accounts that we, that we look up to and that we want to be like, and everyone just comments and everyone gives each other these high fives of like, yeah, that was a really great post. But all we're really doing is reaching people that already agree with us. Are we reaching the people that we need to be reaching, the people that need new information, the people that don't agree with us? So it's, it's a weird one. Like that's, that's what gets 
information, I guess, flowing and shared is that the more people agree with you, yeah, cool. That's that's going to generate some sort of snowballing effect. But if you're only sharing it within your circle, if you're only attracting people within your own circle, then like, are you actually creating any purposeful change or is everyone just going around patting each other on the back <laughs> that already agrees with each other? Yeah, super interesting. And acknowledging the algorithms that really promote or like they like controversial posts get the most engagement no matter what um and maybe that's necessary at least in the initial stages but are we really being controversial for like the right crowds in that case and how can we maybe look to spark some curiosity with people who don't agree with us um whilst also like accepting where they're at i think that's very difficult and challenging to do it's it's a lot easier to just grow our own communities and expand from there and and um yeah what what are your thoughts and how do we kind of maybe do we acknowledge that people who are following us are ones that like us already and trust us as an authority figure and maybe we aren't the right person for say um someone who believes that technique is the most important thing in the world and if they get out of a certain technique uh, alignment that they'll get injured immediately maybe those people aren't going to be seeking us as sources of information in the first place so yeah how, how do we hmm, make sense of our reach well i think it i think it kind of comes back to then what we mentioned before about already having some sort of established uh you know credentials in the community like if we try just to to reach the people that have this other belief that um you know technique is is the be all and end all and there's no situation where you know you, you can't deviate from that um we, we haven't and if we're, if we're not established enough and if we're not got enough of a, a authority figure we're just going to be dismissed and we're going to be viewed as who's this another person just sprouting some stuff that i don't i mean like look they've got two people that believe in what they're saying and uh you know why should I why should I believe them? What's what's the what's the evidence that I should believe this person? Not a lot not like let alone what they're saying is true, but what why should I even look at them in the first place? So then maybe we do need to to have this initial phase of um creating that identity, creating that authority. Uh, and whether it's done by perpetuating growth and followers and people sharing your information within your own spheres and within your own fields that eventually reaches family, friends of other people. And then that sort of then flows on to people sharing it with their other family and friends. So it, it comes back to, do we keep fighting information on that ground level downstream where things is coming up and we're just trying to reach that person straight away, or do we build up enough of a persona first and enough of credibility to then be able to, have that as a resource that people can view and you can share around so that people can say, oh, well, this person sort of must know what they're talking about. There's, there's, it's a simple thing to understand. They've seemed to got a lot of people that support what they're saying. Maybe I should think about that as well. Yeah. So starting off with putting out our own helpful alternatives, helpful up-to-date content first and growing our own following, and then maybe thinking of expanding afterwards and it seems to be like memes are the, the secret source for 2022. 
the 11 herbs and spices. <laughs> and for our last question that I ask in these kind of the, the misinformation series, um, this is more of an in-person kind of as clinicians, especially in private practice, when we have to deal with misinformation or mixed messages from other healthcare professionals. Um, I know that I'm in a very privileged position as a kind of sole trader. I don't have to kind of make space for other uh, maybe messages that might not be as up to date, at least in, in my context, this is a different context, but it can be quite challenging when it's perhaps within the same clinic or with a very, um, someone who refers a lot of clients, say a GP or another allied health professional. How can we uh, navigate these mixed messages and, and maybe have some conversations about misinformation? Um, and I know that one of the answers is to create your page and make some dank memes. Um, yeah, I think, I think I'm in a similar situation to you, Dan, in that even though I'm not a sole trader, I've got a lot of people that I, that I work with that, um, you know, we all have a similar way of operating, a very similar belief, even though we all come from different professions. Like I'm, I'm a physio, I've got a, a few EP colleagues, I've got a, an osteo colleague. Um, we all operate with a, with a similar view. So I'm fortunate in that sense that I don't really have so much of a, of a differing opinion um, within my own workspace, but I know it can exist and I know it can be quite tricky for, for some people to have to, to navigate through that. So I think the best way to, to, um, to approach that would be like, obviously this is what goes back to what we we're saying before. People might not be aware that what they're saying is actually misinformed. They might have updated their information and views previously, but not further developed and, and then gone back onto what the current understanding is. So I think giving people the benefit of the doubt, like you say, in, in steel manning their arguments and saying, you know what, like that's that kind of that's true. That works in, in these circumstances. But like what do you reckon in these other circumstances? Like what do you so let's go back to like the the technique sort of thing that we we're talking about before. Um, you know, someone's like, oh, but you're always gotta gotta keep a, a, a neutral alignment position when you're lifting, um, because that's gonna allow you to lift. The, the best way or it's going to allow people to get the strongest that way. And I think coming, approaching that and going to someone and saying, yeah, like you're right, that's true. Um, but is it always true? It, in what circumstances do you think like it would not be that helpful? So going and questioning the, the um, uncertainty if they have any on their belief and their view and Sometimes they might not. Sometimes they might go, no, no, there's no instance, there's no circumstance where this could be wrong. And you might be fighting a losing battle in that circumstance because that person's not ready to update their, their views and their information um, because there's, there's nothing that could convince them otherwise. So I think if someone's open, you're willing to have a discussion with them within that workplace because um, you're, all, you're all there for the same reason. You're there to help the people that come see you. Um, you've got a common goal. I think establishing that first and making sure that you're both on the same side and then coming across as to, well, if we can achieve these doing different ways and maybe one way is potentially more harmful in certain aspects and another way might not have those, those harmful connotations and narratives behind it. Can we then shift a view in that sense? 
yeah, I think coming back to the commonalities of everyone's trying to help the client with their health related, fitness related, pain related goals, and knowing that there's more than one way to help. And like you mentioned, still manning that. And then, yeah, in some contexts, I know with your experience with mentoring, that some clinicians find it very challenging when maybe the context of KPIs or like lack of time even to have handovers or have these discussions because they're back-to-back already. Um, And there's a lot of pressures business-wise to um, maintain calendars. It's difficult to have these conversations. And if, if I was in that kind of environment and someone gave me some papers to read, I'd be like, F off, like I don't have time for this. So I can imagine that some contexts can make it even more challenging to have these open discussions. Whereas others, if there there is that space and that opportunity or yeah, the ability to facilitate some curiosity and like like you mentioned, when is it helpful and when might it be less applicable? What other contexts might this specific neutral spine cue be really useful? And yeah, where, when, why, for who? And then what about in these kind of situations? Or, you know, what if they performed or they felt more symptoms in neutral spine? What does that mean? And just having these, having that time as well and that team culture to have these open discussions, which I'm sure you are, you and I are both privileged to have. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think if that isn't there to begin with, then there's, it's, it's going to be hard. You know, if you're, if you're in a position where you're working and it's, there's, there's no team culture, there's no open dialogue between you and your, your boss, your colleague, your, whoever else you're working with, um, the receptionist, the, the front desk staff, your referrers. I think if there's, there's no relationship there, then once again, it goes back to the whole, who are you? Do you have that authority to tell me what I'm doing? Like, this is like, if you're trying to approach uh, maybe your, your boss and and like you you guys don't really get along and have that culture outside of work. He's going to come and or she's going to come and say, well, like, you're, this is this is my place of work. This is what I, this is how I operate. And you've just got to do what I do. So it's, it's going to be hard in those circumstances. Um, maybe the, the, it's not the right fit. Like, you know, not always going to be the, the perfect environment. You know, there's, there's some things that are going to suit more than others. So I think that's a decision that you'd have to sort of make yourself based on, on those certain things. And, and I think coming to it openly first and then trying to, once again, give people the benefit of the doubt and say, hey, I'd really like to have a chat with you about these certain things. Do you reckon we'd be open to that? Um, would you be willing to maybe set aside some time after work or on a lunch break where we can sort of talk? I know it's pretty busy. Like we've got some, some pretty full on calendars. There's only just the two of us working. Uh, maybe we can do something outside of work where we just, you know, talk about things and, and discuss things that way. So I, th- I think trying to trying to give people the most benefit and, and trying to once again bring it back to the fact that, you know, we're here to help people. We've all got the same goal. We, we want to do that and, and, and be the best version of ourselves, which we're doing that, approaching people and, and trying to find that common ground would be the first step. Yeah, and there's opportunity for everyone, both parties to learn as well. It's not saying that, you know, who's right, who's wrong. It's more of a collaborative exploration. And, and I think if that's done in a very open, curious way and not so much, a, um, I guess, a angry or emotionally driven, frustrated 
way, then yeah, absolutely. There's, there's gains for, for everyone involved to have these kind of open discussions. Yeah, definitely. Right. Like, I mean, you might be approaching, you know, your, your, your superior at work and, and you might not have seen why they do what they do and, and it might open your, your eyes to the, the potential other side of healthcare that, you know, that keeps the doors running, that, that helps with all the stuff that allows you to continue to do what you do. So there's, there's definitely benefits and like I said, gains to have from both people from just conversing and discussing. I don't think there's any time where not having a discussion is going to be beneficial, especially if there's, there's different opinions. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely um, don't recommend ignoring it or like kind of, attacking the person or uh the other thing that's also not recommended is in in the consult with a person to throw the other person under the bus throw the clinician or their claims under the bus that's not useful or helpful even though it might be personally satisfying for those who love debates and feeling like you know feeding their egos but it's it's not helpful for the person so i think that's it's important to clarify yeah, even even in circumstances when you're dealing with the client that might see you and they might see another health professional that might be outside of your your like not even within your work that they might see. So someone might come see him as if as a physiotherapist, but they also see another physio for another reason, or they see a chiro, or they see an osteo, or they see their friend who's a uh, a naturopath and deals with crystals or whatever. You know, like coming and and just going straight at them and going, no, nah, that person you see, that's not helping you. You shouldn't do that. That's I mean, you're not gonna. You're not going to get any any benefit from that. They're going to go, well, you're attacking my friend here that I see that really helps me that I, I have a really good relationship with. Um, are, you, are you like, why? What's what's the benefit of that? Are you trying to just steal all, all my business for yourself? Um, you know, what's the reason? So I, I don't think that's helpful at all. I, I think opening someone's curiosity to, um, you know, potential other avenues and just saying, Hey, look, this is, this is really cool that you're doing that sort of stuff. And I'm awesome. Uh, it's so good that that's, that's, um, that's helping you. I'm really glad that you're finding benefit in doing those things. Um, let's find a way that we can sort of, you know, maximize the benefit that you get, but also not lead you down potential misinformed paths and, and all that sort of stuff. And even asking if they're, they're willing to like that, that other practitioner or that other clinician is willing to have a chat with you in the interest of getting the most out of that that client in front of you as well sort of asking the client would you be okay if i i speak to this other person that you're seeing um so that we can sort of find like how to to best manage your your situation i think no client would go like no i want to keep that separate most people would go no it looks like you guys care and i mean if it's going to benefit me why not so win-win for all those involved absolutely Mate, that was awesome. So we, I think we covered in-person and online misinformation, how to handle it. Was there anything that we've missed or any final pieces of advice for people in physios in private practice one or two years out dealing with all the frustrations of all the BS that's probably out there that they probably weren't prepared for, university at least, didn't prepare them to handle? Yeah, um, I think... In my first two years, what I would sort of have wanted to to know is that like it, it's good to be skeptical. It's good to be uh, apprehensive of of new information. Be critical of your current information. Um, 
there's, there's not going to be any harm in in looking further into something that you're not sure about because number one, it's either going to reinforce your belief, it's going to help you solidify and ground your knowledge, or it's going to continue to update your views and, and your way you practice for the better. So I think if you're, you're feeling a bit lost and if you're feeling a bit disillusioned sometimes, it, it's normal. Like I would say that I still feel the same way. It's, it's, a, it's a thing that's going to follow um, us throughout our whole career because we're constantly trying to uh, update our, our knowledge and ourselves with what's best for us and what's best for the, the people we help. So I think as long as you're critical of whatever knowledge you, you have at the moment and whatever knowledge you, you are engaging in PD courses and taking in and going to that with, a, with your own lens and being able to decipher that, um, you, you're going to come off better from it. So be open, but be, be critical and be sceptical at the same time to, to new information. Love it. So it's always questioning our biases and acknowledging our like what we want to be true that's important um and having that open mind to then update and maybe normalizing that there's a lot of uncertainty and we're always going to be updating throughout our entire career as kind of challenging as it might be maybe it's like it's part of the process right Uh, absolutely And, and and part of that process is also you know don't don't hold on to your identity so tightly don't don't ingrain yourself with what you do, you know, you're your own person. Don't feel that you're defined by uh, a certain technique, a certain uh, thing that you've you've spent time and effort into into upskilling. You can always, you know, you can always change that um, if if you try and identify with something so deeply. The moment a bit of information comes out against that, you're going to feel personally attacked. So don't don't tie your identity with all those things. You know, you, you are who you are, and your your client is who they are. So I think approaching things with a bit of separation um, in terms of going, oh, I'm I'm Johnny, I'm 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 a physio, yes, but I'm I'm also more than just whatever is defined as a, as a physio and how the general population might see a physio versus how I see a physio. So you're a fixer, right? Like you just lie me down on the table and like release my tissues, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, so, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. With, with, with butter knives and, and mm-hmm. fancy vibration devices. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so, yeah. I think um, not tying ourselves or at least expanding our roles as physios, EPs, chiros, osteos, and, um, not getting kind of overly attached because we can be, I think we can be super proud of our credentials and our past experiences and what we used to, you know, believe because we went to all these courses and and wanted to update ourselves because we were so passionate. And now we are much more than that. We're so much more than just, you know, being McKenzie credentialed or mobility corrective exercise specialist. We're much more than that. And we can really uh, adapt to the person in front of us. Yeah. We, so rather than kind of attaching ourselves to you know we have to do it this way because that's my role and that's my kind of uh, my intervention. Instead, it's like maybe making it more about the person in front of us and, and adapting as a coach, as a, as a guide, less of a fixer. Full degree. Full degree.
Awesome. Johnny, thank you so much for coming on, jumping on first podcast. Super Welcome. exciting for, yeah, thanks for having me. For those who want to find out a bit more about you and, and follow you, where can they find you? Ooh, um, Instagram's probably the main platform that I'm on as the strength coach physio. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook, although I don't feel that I've got as much of a follow me on there. I just find the Instagram way of viewing things is a lot nicer. So um, I, I probably have a Twitter or a LinkedIn or something, but I mean, I don't really use that. So you can follow me on there if you really like. Um, and yeah, you can also find me at the Knowledge Exchange uh, during live courses or online courses um, and part of the mentorship program there. Amazing. Awesome. Thanks, mate. Really enjoyed that. And thank you. Looking forward to the next one. Till next time. Till next time.